Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. So we are going to sit down with alien expert Gary Bates, the author of Alien Intrusion, and a follow-up documentary with the same title and the subtitle, Unmasking a Deception, as we discuss not only Roswell, Area 51, many of the abductions that have happened, but also how it relates to a biblical worldview. I'm extremely excited for you guys to hear Gary Bates talk about this, and we welcome him to the Good Fight Radio Show. Hi, how you doing, Chad? Uh, Doing really well, and I am beyond excited to talk about UFOs, aliens, alien abductions. There is so much to talk about with you because you have researched this topic for a number of years, and one of the things that I have grown to love about your ministry concerning specifically aliens, UFOs, and abductions is the biblical worldview that you come from when looking at the information. And I want to ask, before I get into any detailed questions about UFOs and aliens and so forth, I want to ask, why have you dedicated, what led you to dedicate so much time to studying the topic of UFOs and aliens? Sure. Well, you mentioned that we come at it from a a biblical worldview, and the reason is the ministry that I represent, I'm part of a larger organization called Creation Ministries International. We have six offices around the world. We employ tons and tons of scientists and PhDs, etc. And our main ministry is dealing with the issue of creation versus evolution. Uh, Creation and evolution are not so much about science, but actually about worldviews. And, of course, the two opposing views, as we read in the book of Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth in six 24-hour days. And the evolutionary view is there was a big bang 14 billion years ago, and you and I and everything on this planet are just the result of time and chance. And so the UFO subject, I realized, uh, because growing up I was not a Christian, but I was fascinated with science fiction and the whole concept of life on other worlds. I'm a, a bit of a space junkie is that I realized that the whole concept of aliens on other worlds could only come about by the same two mechanisms of how we explain life here. Either it was created or it was evolved. And and we can maybe talk later about the whole uh, creation aspect because the idea that God created intelligent aliens on other planets violates the gospel. But I kind of said to my colleagues, do you realize how big science fiction is And there's a great opportunity here to use a very, very popular uh, media genre. It's the biggest in the world, in fact, even today. The number one highest grossing genre is science fiction. But we could use that to lead people to the gospel and get back to the issue of origins. You know, where do we come from? Why are we here? What happens to us when we die? So I started researching it. I'd always had an interest. Um, but yeah, when I started researching it, I, I got a lot more than I bargained for, as you've seen in the book and the movie. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely say you obviously did. And one of the things you bring out immediately in the book, as well as in the documentary, 
is the role that media has really had on kind of framing framing us and giving us a framework regarding how we re, how we view aliens and UFOs and so forth. So maybe you can dig in a little deeper with us on how the the media's role in framing our thinking concerning UFOs and aliens. Well, there's several aspects to that. I think when you say media, it's a very broad ranging uh, term, but I think about advertising. I mean, you know, why would multinational corporations spend hundreds of millions, if not billions, over their uh, corporate lifetimes in convincing you to buy their product? I mean, they do it in a, a way that's subtle and says, hey, take this product and you'll be nice and slim and good looking or whatever. Uh, and now, of course, within social media, um, you know, we're seeing the advent of so much misinformation and how that can percolate. And our tendency is to believe what we see. Uh, and I think in the visual media form, when you look at movies, one of the great allures of science fiction, and, and you know, we're, we've all been uh, enamored by it, and I am, is our fascination with the future. I mean, you can go back into the middle of last century, and we had great authors like H.G. Wells, uh, Isaac Asimov, and so forth. We only had written media but they postulated the ideas of advanced civilizations. You know, we'd all be flying around in our flying cars and taking trips to Jupiter, uh, you know, as if it was nothing. And we like to think about those ideas of what might be. And I think that's one of the fascinations with it. But again, when we look at, you know, all the movies, I mean, just take the Marvel movies, right, the highest grossing today, they're all about aliens. They're all about life on other worlds. And although it's not openly said, uh, except perhaps in movies like Avatar, but it's underlining TV shows like Star Trek, is that if life evolved on the Earth, you know, over billions of years, well, it must have evolved somewhere else in this incredibly vast universe. And those aliens, well, they could have evolved a lot earlier than human beings on Earth, and therefore they're millions of years advanced in their technology. And, of course, as Arthur C. Clarke, a science fiction writer, once said, any technology sufficiently advanced might be indistinguishable from magic or some supernatural ideas. And you see those type of supernatural things uh, in the popular movies today. Yeah, it's really interesting. I noticed that when it comes to a lot of the theories that atheists will try to give in terms of the original creation, so to speak, we would call the creation, a lot of it does deal. In fact, I believe in Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed, that even Richard Dawkins, the <laughs> famous atheist, I think he even accredited uh, creation to aliens. Is that right? Well, I, I have to say, you know, we follow Dawkins. He's kind of the main protect, uh, antagonist for our ministry. And so we've got a lot of articles on it. But when I saw that documentary, I just about fell off my chair because Dawkins is the world's famous evolutionist who says, you know, time and chance can produce everything. We don't need a God. You know, nature only looks like it has been designed, although it, it hasn't been designed. But then when he was pushed by Ben Stein, and then he turns around and he says, well, I don't know, maybe aliens did it. Well, as a wise man once said, there's nothing new under the sun. It really showed that his problem is not about science, it's about God. Yeah, so like you mentioned it, it in the very be beginning. The aliens, it's not about, it's, it's got to be anything but God. And, you know, as I said, 
that's the same old uh, garden variety atheistic issue. <laughs> they don't yeah. want there to be a God. Yeah, amen. And like you said, it's not a science issue. It's a worldview issue. And and I think that, uh, you know, you bring that out quite well in Alien Intrusion, not only the book, but also the documentary. Both of them are just excellent. I want to encourage everyone here, please go check those out. Check out the book and also check out the documentary. I had watched it last night and watched it previously as well. It is so well done. You guys did such an amazing job with it. And I, I want to encourage you. everyone to check it out because I think you bring out so many truths. And whether you're secular, whether you're a non-believer, whether you're a believer in aliens, but not in the one true God, you know, it is a great way to kind of get yourself looking at this information. And, you know, you've spent so much time and you've researched, you've gotten research from so many of the top level, I guess, experts in this in this field. And I just want to ask, in terms of people changing their view from, yes, I believe aliens and abductions and so forth are happening from these, you know, out, outer dimensional, you know, um, entities, in terms of them changing their view, are there are there any experts that you've seen that have changed their view from saying, you know, these are real aliens that are on flying saucers to a place where they're like, wait a second, there's something else going on here? Well, it's interesting and, and very perceptive of you to say that, if I may say so, Chad, because in the 20 years or so I've been looking at this, um, the, the traditional view, and this will just take a bit of explanation if you bear with me, was something called the extraterrestrial hypothesis, which is typically what you see in science fiction movies, aliens who are advanced in their hyperdrive spaceships, you know, visiting the Earth, stealthily abducting people in the middle of the night. Well, we've been watching and looking at this for over 70 years, and, and the actual evidence does not show that. So we didn't know what it was. They, the secular people would say we still don't know what it was, but the evidence does not say that. So I've always said that there's a spiritual aspect to some of it, you know, not all of it. Most of it can be actually naturally explained. But the secular people have actually shifted towards, dare I say, the Christian view, which has been always been what's called the interdimensional hypothesis. That's not something we dreamt up. The interdimensional hypothesis said that these beings, some people still believe aliens, are coming to us from other dimensions or multiverses or something like that. Again, there's no evidence for multiverses, but they possess supernatural or spiritual characteristics. They use words like paranormal or paraphysical, and as Christians, we would call them supernatural or spiritual. And, you know, in the movie you mentioned uh, there, but Dr. John Mack, who was a former professor of Harvard Medical School, who's an atheist, says as an in, in an interview there, he says, we are dealing with spirit beings coming to us from another realm. So to put it succinctly, we probably all agree, the serious researchers, Christian and non-Christian, all agree about the nature of the phenomena. Uh, what we're going to disagree is about its origin, where it comes from, and that's because they still possess a naturalistic worldview, you know, Big Bang and evolution, etc. Uh, I think that is really interesting, as you said, the worldview differences there, but we're all looking at the same data, and, and it's very yeah. interesting to see that. And you mentioned uh, abductions, and I would love to kind of go into that quite a bit here. And, you know, there seemingly is even an upsurge in the the abduction phenomenon. So I do you think that there is a, a reason for that taking place? Oh, absolutely. Um, generally, people who have abduction experiences, uh, there's usually an entry point. 
Uh, now, it could be past trauma. Uh, it could be dabbling in, in new agey spiritual things. And again, uh, when I say this, people don't have to believe little Joe Christian here. This is what the, the leading secular researchers have found, and I, I documented that in my book. Um, but one of the main entry points just seems to be on top of, you know, whether it's drugs or alcoholism uh, that gets people into a bit of a fragile state, is just um, even a fleeting acceptance of the idea that there could be life on other planets. Uh, and the best way I can explain it, you know, if, if a little entity stood at the bottom of your bed or my bed in the middle of the night and said, well, you know, I'm from the, the Sirius star system, you know, I've chosen you, you're special, I've got a mission for you, which is what people are told. Well, as grounded Bible-believing Christians, you and I would probably immediately recognize that this is spiritual. Uh, it's not really an alien. But most people don't have that grounded biblical worldview, and so they are open to the source of information. And the, one of the reasons this is very, very deceptive and, and it's almost compelling for the person to get you know, for them to get into it, because just imagine you've had that experience. It's very isolating. It's not exactly something you can go to the office tomorrow morning and talk around the water cooler about. Hey, let me tell you what happened to me last night. You know, I was abducted by aliens. I was taken on a, a tour of the galaxy, came back. Uh, and, you know, as you read the book, I won't do it now, but there are very, very much more sordid aspects to it. And people don't feel at liberty to tell others freely about it. They became become isolated. And bizarrely, the only people they can kind of talk to about it are the very, very ones that are perpetrating the abuse on them, which are these spiritual entities. So in a way, they get drawn a little bit deeper. A similar analogy might be people who were abused. They don't want to go and blow the whistle. They don't want to be thought of badly. They have a sense of guilt, sometimes some shame. And so that they, they kind of get driven deeper into the experience and then you know try to seek solace from the ones that are doing the abusing to them. It's a very similar phenomenon with abductees uh, as well. And you mentioned, have we seen a shift? One of the pleasing and unexpected things uh, I've discovered is when I go out and talk on this, which... You know, I'm not trying to self-aggrandize at all. It's just been probably thousands of times over, over the years in churches. And I can often sit at the pulpit and, you know, the church has advertised on the billboard, you know, Gary Bates and Aliens, 6.30 tonight. And you'll see the regular congregation, but you'll see a couple or maybe a gentleman or a lady sitting over at the side. And I can usually pick that, hey, they've come to see what this, this guy is going to talk about. And when I share the pattern of abductees and the empathy towards them, they'll often come up to me. And how often is it when we're trying to give our Christian worldview that, you know, you don't always get some pushback and some questions. They'll often come up to me and say, my goodness, it was just like you said. <laughs> so you get this bond of empathy, which hopefully then opens the door uh, to help them understand that their experience is deceptive. But it's very difficult because that experience makes them feel special. Mm. You know, that's really interesting that you bring that out because I want to ask you, and, and maybe you can kind of give us a thread and, and feel free to go as, as long as you want on this, but I'd love to know, especially because you've done not only your own research, but also talked to people who've had these experiences so I'd love to know a, a few things. What are they experiencing, one? And do you see a similar thread that they are seemingly going through a lot of them? 
uh, in those experiences? Oh, absolutely. Um, secular researchers as well. Uh, and I, I, again, it's in the book of the movie. We use something called the CAS or the classic abduction syndrome. Uh, so just imagine, you know, uh, you go to the doctor and um, you say, well, I've got a sore throat. I've got, you know, I've got a, a chest cold, uh, cough and, and he'll take your temperature and they might do a test. So they'll look for the symptoms of your problem. And from that, they can diagnose it. Well, the classic abduction syndrome is very, very similar because you do get cranks and hoaxes, people seeking their five minutes of, of uh, fame. And what I'm able to do, in fact, the very, very first experiencer I spoke to, I was able to ask questions. Uh, you know, I mean, she spoke to me on the phone. I said, ah, I think we better, we better meet. And she was telling me some of it. And I said, for example, things she hadn't revealed to me. I said, have you been told you're special? Have you been given a mission? And then I said, have you had any experiences of a sexual nature? And I'll never forget the reaction. Literally, her jaw just dropped and she went, how could you know those things? You see, um, But it is part of this classic abduction syndrome. There is a pattern. Uh, sometimes people are driving their car. They see a light or they're in their room and they see a light or they see some sort of entity and then that's the last thing they remember. And the most common characteristic is something we call missing time. So they wake up in their room or the dashboard you know, clock on the car, three hours have passed and they cannot remember anything except seeing that light and then there's three hours of, of missing time. And when I originally uh, wrote the first edition of the book, um, I wasn't sure of how that was occurring, but I'm much more confident. And in the current versions, there's a brand new chapter that explains what I think the missing time is. And it also answers why, if these people are really not being abducted by aliens and they're going on these galactic tours and they're up on the spaceship and they claim they see Jesus and Buddha, Muhammad, and they're all living together and working in peace and harmony, that can't really be happening. But how come these people have memories of it? And it's something called false memory syndrome, which is a real medical phenomena that can be induced uh, in a couple of ways. But one of the most classic ways to induce it into victims is through hypnosis. And so the missing time fat aspect was a real key for me because even when people are undergoing deep hypnosis, they have that sense of missing time. A very simple way I can explain this to people, if anybody's ever had surgery in a hospital or somewhere, you remember them putting the needle in or the gas on and they say count to 10 and you get to four or five if you're lucky. And the very next thing you experience is you waking up in the recovery room and you kind of say, have they started? And they go, no, we finished an hour ago. You're, you're in recovery. And there's been this contraction of time. You, No time has passed for you. But, of course, during that time, they underwent surgery and did whatever they need to do. It's the same with hypnosis. It's the other mechanism. So I believe quite simply, that the spiritual entities, when people have these abduction experiences, are basically, and, and hypnotism is not the watch-waving stuff. You'd be surprised how easy it is to do it on people. Most people think they can't be hypnotized, but stats show that 90% of the population are suggestible and can be hypnotized. Uh, it's during that time that I believe that a lot of this misinformation and false memories is being given. But here's the kicker. When it is given, and I've seen this experimentally done in hypnosis classes, when you wake the person out of that hypnotic state, they cannot differentiate the false memory from, from reality.
because it's done in kind of a, at a subconscious level, they've adopted it as real and they'll even make excuses. Their imagination will fill in the blanks to accommodate that suggestion as it, as it being real. And that's why it's very, very, very difficult to reach people who've been abducted and why I'm so glad that, you know, you're, you're kind of talking about this because in a lot of respects there's a great resistance in the church. We covered this in the movie that, you know, people go to pastors and churches and because they've got no experience with this, they dismiss it. But for that person, that's a real experience. You can't dismiss it. You have to talk to them and empathize uh, with what they're going through. And that's certainly what we tried to do, you know, through the movie. Yeah, and I think... One of the great things, because you're talking about specifically talking with them and empathizing with them when they've gone through these experience, and you show in the movie that sometimes when people have gone to the church and they've had that kind of reaction of being pushed away, that they've sought out other means uh, for other people who will listen to them. Yeah, well, there was a famous abductee. We interviewed uh, Guy Malone, who runs now, uh, is a former abductee, uh, but he's now a Christian. And he runs a, an outreach cafe in Roswell, New Mexico, of all places. And we went over there to film him. And, and he says that. He says, you know, it was his experience too. You go to the church and you just hear, oh, well, it's all demonic and whatever. And whilst that might be true, the person's not ready to hear that. You know, they, 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 they need to receive validation. So if they don't get it, what they do is they turn around. And all over this country, people don't realize, Christians don't realize, pastors don't realize, there are thousands, not hundreds, thousands of UFO groups. And when you go there, well, people are in those groups who've had similar experiences. So they get welcomed. There's a sense of community. Hey, you know, come here. We, we, we're just like you. We've got people just like you, you see. And when I said at the beginning, when it's a very isolating experience to get that level of acceptance that something unique, different and special has happened to you and there are others like you, that does give someone a sense of community. I mean, that's why we have a church. We go to church because there are others like us who've had an, an encounter with God and we have a community. And yeah. so that's where we feel our sense of comfort. So we need to be able to empathize. And and I, I kind of joke, I say, you know, when you meet an abductee in my lectures, I say to Christians, there are three things you need to do when you meet someone like this, you know. Do that and listen, listen, listen. And it's not in the experience that you'll uh, that you can deny because they've had a real experience, but it's in the information they've given. Because if this experience is coming from the evil one, well, what does the Lord Jesus say about him? He says he is a liar, the father of lies, and there is no truth in him. Not some truth, no truth in him. And so, I, I remember being at a conference in Roswell and. Uh, there was the lead MUFON Mutual UFO Network investigator for Roswell. I mean, that's kind of the holy grail of positions if you're a MUFON researcher. But uh, he was there debating me and arguing me. And I just said to him, well, who do you believe? I said, this person said had an experience and said, well, our alien creators were from the Pleiades. Over here, this person said they were from Orion and Zeta Reticuli. Well, they can't all be telling the truth. See, and so much of the prophecies and the predictions that abductees have been given are actually like a train wreck. We can demonstrably show that the things people are told are not true. So I turn around and I say, well, your experience might be real, 
but how do you know it's truthful, right? And tell me some of the things you're told. And then when I can point out and say, well, if you've not been told the truth, sorry not to put too fine a point on it, but you've been lied to. You know, a half-truth is a half-lie. Given they haven't been truthful to you, can you really afford to trust them? Look at what's at stake here. So there's a, a, a different way of kind of unpicking what's happening with these people rather than kind of, you know, what we tend to do as Christians, we're so keen to impart the truth, we tell people what they think they need to hear. But we need to be uh, uh, on this issue because of the experience-driven nature of it, we need to have a little more, more empathy. Yeah, and I, you know, I, not only watching this, hearing you just now, you said it, and you kind of go over it fast, but I think that one of the important things to talk about as well, and it may make people uncomfortable, but the sexual nature of so many of the encounters, is that something you think is, uh, or you believe in your findings is quite prevalent? Uh, it's commonplace. You know, in fact, the majority of the abductees have that. And, and some of it, which we probably don't need to do, is sorted. But let's, let's just say that people believe that they're having intimate encounters with aliens, dare I say religious figures, including the Lord Jesus on the ship, which is obviously reviles us as Christians. And it took me a little while to figure out you know, what, what was the big thing about sex, basically. But think about what sex does to us here on earth it's it creates a bond of intimacy you know between partakers and when you look at some of the leading cults we've had uh on in, in the world uh, in the past present and no doubt will be in the future sex is a huge factor a, few, a huge part of this because when you always have this guru at the top of the cult and you know They've got free love or whatever in the camp. But when they go and have that uh, experience with the cult leader, um, because they believe he's a guru, it's transcending something over and above the normal levels of intimacy. It creates that connection. And ultimately, in the same way that sex is used on the earth to control people, it's, a, it's quite simply a control mechanism. One of the things I found in researching all this, even though it's very bizarre and it's left field, the answers, the explanations were very, very simple. I said earlier, there's nothing new under the sun. If uh, Satan and his cohorts have had, you know, a couple of thousand years to follow human beings around, well, the Bible says, you know, we, we can't be tempted except what is common to us. And so, yeah, we, we fall for the same things over and over again. They, I think they know very, very well how to control uh, people in this regard. And, and I think that's one of the big, the big factors. Yeah, and I'd have to ask you as well, because from a biblical worldview, is there an instance you can see in Scripture where we can also see this taking place where demonic entities come and have sexual relations also with human entities? Yeah, well, of course, historically, uh, in the Middle Ages, you had what the church believed to be demonic spirits, the incubus and the succubus that would um, yeah, basically, not to push, again, to find a point, have sex with, with men and women. Uh, unfortunately, in those days, the victims were often excommunicated from the church but there is a historical record, and it's also just not within uh, the 
Christian tradition, you'll find that all over the world, people record these types of experiences. Now, in the past, they were recognized as demons, fallen spirits. Again, other religious uh, groups have different beliefs based upon their own um, religious uh, worldviews, how they fit in. But that's because the phenomenon has morphed itself over time. Uh, even with just UFO sightings, today they're seen as craft or balls of light that change shape. Uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they were seen as airships, which was the leading aerial technology we had of the day. The ancient American Indians said they saw flying canoes with occupants on board. And again, documented in the historical record, Alexander the Great, uh, the great uh, Greek king who conquered most of the known world, said they saw flying objects uh, attacking their armies. So it's only again in this modern science fiction age that when we see things, we tend to think about them being UFOs from other worlds. But the deception has been there forever. Uh, Dr. Jacques Vallée, who's one of the world's leading UFO researchers, probably written more books on the subject than anyone else. Uh, he was interviewed in the movie. He showed it's the same experience presenting itself in a different guise over generations. And he harked back to the last century when people had encounters with fairies. <laughs> Now, we laugh when we think about that because we know fairies are not real. You know, we've, we're more enlightened. We're past that. But fairies were pop culture uh, in the day. And so people believe they're having encounters with fairies. And guess what? They were taken to other worlds or other dimensions. There was a sexual component. The people were told that they were special. And again, it's that isolating experience. And it all serves one purpose, of course, and that is to undermine the truth of the gospel, even to get to, to get you to doubt that the validity of our existence in the spiritual realm uh, that is obviously you know dominated and, and uh, ruled by God to kind of get you to say, well, maybe it's not that way. Another example is how many people have had encounters with spirits of the dead? The Bible's full of those encounters. But the Bible was also very, very clear, have nothing to do with them. It says have nothing to do with the heavenly host, the starry host. We're talking about angels. And, of course, in the New Testament, it says, you know, basically that some have entertained good angels, we presume, without knowing it. But it says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And so, you know, if I think I've had an encounter with my deceased father, even subtly that says, well, maybe the Bible's not true. You know, I was told that when you die, you go to one or two places, heaven or hell, but but hey, my father stood at the bottom of my bed in the middle of the night. So it creates those doubts based upon your experience and being, for want of a better term, carnal creatures being driven by our, our physical senses, you know, eyes and, and hearing and taste and touch. That tends to dominate uh, the interpretation of our experience. But when we're dealing with something spiritual, uh, that's not our realm. So we need to go to a source that is from that realm to help us discern it. Of course, that is that that is the scriptures. Amen. That is just some amazing insight. And you know, just to, just to piggyback on that, I, I want to know if if you believe that in Genesis six you have the sons of God with the daughters of men. You have yeah. Jude even talking about that men, whilst dreaming, 
you know, revile angelic majesties and so forth. So I want to I, I want to just get your take on if that could be a situation as well where we see the modern phenomenon taking place in Scripture as well. Uh, yeah, there are more fa- four main views of that, and and some of the views are split actually down denominational lines. Uh, and I have to say, hand on heart, that when I wrote the book, um, I was kind of on the fence about it. But being with Creation Ministries International, it really teaches you to, what does the Scripture say? Don't bring your ideas to Scripture. Let Scripture formulate your ideas. So using the exegetical method, uh, I think it's clear that the most common and simplistic explanation in Genesis 6, that the sons of God are angels. And the reason is, is the term there is uh, bene ha Elohim, literally means sons of God. Now, if it was sons of men, it would have been bene ha Adam. And in fact, it goes on, says the sons of God and the daughters of men. It's benof ha Adam, female. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, whenever you see that Hebrew term used, it means angels. Uh, in the book of Job, where Satan, and it says the sons of God, came to present themselves before God, right? And they made that accusation. It's the same term, benof, bene ha Elohim. A derivative of that is the fiery furnace with Daniel, where you see the angels standing next to Daniel protecting him in the flame. Now, then people say, well, hang on, in the New Testament, it talks about the sons of God. Yes, but it's specifically talking about believers and the context is that you had to be born again into God's kingdom, etc. cetera. Uh, there's a whole 13 pages on that in my book. And if people go to our website, creation.com, they can type in who were the sons of God in Genesis 6. And I go through all four explanations looking at any scriptural insight from that. One of the very fascinating things in the New Testament, uh, Chad, about that is it likens uh, sexual misdeeds as in the time of Noah. And there are three passages we can refer to in the in the New Testament. And interestingly, it talks about the angels that sinned long ago, as, long ago in Noah's time being kept in hell. That's what our English translations say. Everywhere else in the New Testament, the the word for hell is Hades, except in that one passage where we see it about specifically these angels being locked in change, and it uses the word Tartarus. Well, isn't it interesting that in Greek and Roman legend, where they have their godlike creatures coming down and intermarrying with humans and forming this offspring called the Titans, Hercules was one, okay, Um, those gods that disobeyed were locked up in Tartarus. And in the same way that we have flood legends all over the world, even here in America, we have American Indians with flood legends, South America, Australia, Asia, all over the world, people have in their oral tradition stories of godlike creatures coming down and taking uh, women for themselves and producing some sort of ungodly offspring. So, uh, we, we do see parallels there um, in other religions. I, I, I've just spent three weeks in Italy. I love going looking at historical sites. And the Italians renamed a lot of their gods based upon Greek mythology. Um, you know, I think it was uh, Zeus became either Apollo or Jupiter or something like that. But anyway, um, but they adopted a lot of the legends as well. 
And of course, scripture says these were mighty men of old, men of renown. And I, I kind of wonder in the post-flood, uh, sorry, pre-flood period, whether some of these offspring, uh, ungodly offspring, were in fact some of these um, oral traditions that we hear for these gods in some of the other major religions or in, in myth and legend around the world. Oh, quite interesting. It's always nice to have somebody talk about these things from a biblical worldview. And uh, Gary Bates, I, I just am so blessed to hear you answer these questions from that perspective. And I think that is monumental when dealing with this, uh, because I've seen even Christians talk about aliens and talk about mm-hmm. UFOs, and you hear these theories and you're like, but you're not getting that from Scripture. And it can be quite vexing uh, to have that sort of experience. But I, you know, in the documentary and in the book as well, you document this as well, but it seems as though there are not only threads of commonality when it comes to the abduction, but also how someone, I guess I would say, has victory over that abduction. And I would say that this is my favorite part of your film, Alien Intrusion. Well, again, this was something that... Uh, I came across and then I discovered some other researchers finding the same thing. Uh, In the movie, we interview a man by the name of Joe Jordan. Uh, He describes himself as a crystal ball rolling new ager or formerly. And he was an investigator for MUFON. MUFON, who I mentioned, Mutual UFO Network, is the world's largest UFO investigation group in the world. And they were all struggling to fathom out what's happening with these abductions. And that's because of, at that time, the very much the supernatural nature of it. It didn't make any sense for these to be physical aliens flitting in and out of our environment, aliens walking through walls and ceilings, and then the abductees going up the same way. So they said, let's step outside the box. Is there any specific group of people by and large that might not be being abducted by what they thought was aliens. And so they went back through their case studies and they discovered that there seemed to be a significant group of the population that called themselves Christians that seemed to be repelling these abduction attempts. So they wrote about it. Their research was rejected by MUFON because, oh, well, that's some Christian idea or something like that. Uh, and then what they did is they published their findings and I only published it in a local newspaper in Florida and then it got picked up and syndicated around the world where they got bombarded with people saying that I had this experience, I called out on the name of Jesus or I, I said a, a prayer, I, I sang hymns, I just pleaded you know, with God in the name of Jesus and the abduction stopped. I think we featured four of these abductees uh, in our movie and, um, and again, you might say, well, why were Christians being abducted? Well, in the U.S. in particular, a lot of us have been brought up as cultural Christians. So a lot of these people had these experiences and being brought up in the church were no longer going. But, you know, it's the old saying, there's no atheists in foxholes. So in the moment of their experience, they knew nothing else except to call on Jesus for help. And their testimonies. They do, don't they? I mean, they make the hair stand up on the back of your neck as to the reality and the power of the name of Jesus Christ because, as one of them noted, and by the way, all of these people have since become full-on evangelical Bible-believing Christians that regularly attend church, 
because they knew and understood the power of God and the name and authority of Jesus Christ. Well, we've got, we've got hundreds and hundreds of these cases now. So either they're all making it up you know, or they're all crazy or there's got to be some validation. And uh, one of the little secrets I know when I said earlier that we would both, both sides would agree about the nature of it, there are more and more uh, people, particularly in MUFON and the serious researchers, that actually recognize the demonic nature uh, of it. And one of them we interviewed in the movie, Nick Redfern. People can just type in his name. He's written over 40 books on the subject. Um, and, I mean, it sounds like you're talking to a Christian. He says, yeah, there's even a, an element in the government that recognizes the demonic nature of the UFO phenomenon. Uh, does this guy want to become a Christian? No, he doesn't. I'm not sure why. Uh, not for me to go into here, but uh, he knows it all. He basically agrees with us, and he says it's not extraterrestrials. He said it is something that masquerades itself to appear extraterrestrial. It's spiritual in nature. It's deceptive. It's been deceiving us for as long as we've got records. And uh, he, he, he knows the Christian answer. He appeared in our documentary. So, <laughs> No, I think that's great. And, you know, I want him to come to faith. Don't get me wrong, but just excellent to see that even someone who isn't saved does not know the Lord coming from an outsider perspective and he even names it demons, I believe, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. And uh, he, he cited the work of a Catholic priest who was a MUFON researcher who'd been working on it. And all this is really relevant because at the time we're speaking, Chad, this is a time unlike his, in any time in history, and certainly in all my 20-plus years researching it, because the U.S. government, we know, have seen these things. Their military pilots, their Air Force officers have recorded it and have been frustrated. Uh, we showed examples of that in the movie. But under the Trump administration, his last COVID bill was a good chunk of money where the U.S. military had to file a report by June this year on their research on UFOs. And that really was the first time ever the U.S. government has acknowledged the reality of them. And what I'd noticed is over the last few years, starting in the Obama administration, is they were drip-feeding us with sightings. They were drip-feeding us with footage from Navy pilots and so on. And this is, I have to say, completely unheard of. Over the last 60 years, the U.S. government has conducted four uh, research projects into UFOs and basically have said, now, there's nothing to report. Now they're saying there is something to report, and they did release the report in June. Now, they didn't say what it was, which is what everyone was waiting for, but we have to recognize that the government officialdom is not going to realize the spiritual nature of our existence. If they did, you know, they'd be accused of, you know, mixing religion with, with politics or, you know, something like that. But they did not rule out. They said, we don't know what it is, but we are not ruling out that it might be extraterrestrial. And I actually predicted that's what they'd say, because I think it was too much of a quantum leap for them to go from saying nothing to say, we're being visited by aliens, because they're dealing with something that defies the laws of physics. These craft fly at speeds of thousands of miles per hour and do U-turns without slowing down. They disappear. They merge into other objects. I mean, physical craft, it's not a matter of advanced technology. You can't switch off the laws of physics that govern 
you know, our existence here on the earth of the universe. And that's what these things seem to do. And that's why they're more supernatural in nature rather than being physical in nature, although they can manifest physically in our realm. Well, I guess I'd have to ask you, because I think, you know, two of the biggest things that we hear around here um, are Roswell and Area 51. So I would <laughs> love to know, you know, what you think happened there in Roswell and what on earth Area 51 is. Uh, well, we know what happened at Roswell, unless you are one of those advocates that it's all fake news. Uh, but that's we've known for many years. And in fact, there have been three government investigations into Roswell. And then uh, I think it was a, a New Mexican senator, Stephen Schiff, said, yeah, well, that's the government investigating itself. So he got the uh, GAO, the Government uh, Accounting Office, to investigate it, to be independent from the military. And they all came to the same conclusion that uh, what they were dealing with were uh, weather balloons, but they were being used by the military. So you've got to remember in, 19, in the 1940s, we didn't have satellites in the atmosphere. We, we were unable because of the curvature of the earth. If we're over here, we can't listen to something that's going on over there. Uh, if there's a satellite up there, yes, we can bounce signals, you know, oops, here we go, up to it and back down. But we didn't have that technology. So the US government was trying to listen to the early Soviet nuclear tests and they had these giant arrays of weather balloons called Project Mogul. They covered them in a, a metallic, silvery-coloured material designed to kind of reflect sunlight and hopefully reflect uh, radar, uh, etc. But they would get carried on the jet streams across continents, and hopefully with the, the acoustic listening devices that were underneath, they'd be able to listen to any Soviet above-ground nuclear tests. And when one crashed in Roswell, the government didn't want to know, uh, didn't want the Russians or the Soviets to know in particular what they were doing. So it was a big cover-up, but it was nothing like, you know, alien uh, technology that crash-landed there, etc. Now, you'll get a lot of people that say they saw the, the bodies and that type of stuff. And again, I've investigated that. Why do people say all sorts of bizarre things that are not true. Humans are very complex. Again, sometimes it's just for their five minutes or fame. Sometimes they're self-deluded. We see it even in Christian circles. That then leads us to Area 51, because one of the views is the wreckage, uh, the flying saucer, if you like, from Roswell was taken to the secret base in Nevada, and the government used it to develop technology, reverse engineering, they call it. That's why we have laser pointers today, um, and those types of things. Now, a lot of people have tried to push the envelope around at Area 51, you know, walking onto the base, and then when they get arrested, they go, see, the government's covering up something, it's a secret base. Well, it's going to happen if you try to walk onto any <laughs> government military establishment, <laughs> uh, et So there have been people that claim they work at Area 51 and have seen bodies. Bob Lazar is one of the most common of those, and because government policy says we can neither confirm or deny anybody that worked with us, etc. It's too easy to make spectacular claims. The fact is the government has developed secret technology at Area 51, including the stealth technology, stealth, stealth uh, fighters and stealth bombers, uh, etc. Uh, they're not so stealthy anymore because um, 
technology using sapphire crystals rendered them obsolete. So, uh, but yeah, the government has tested secret craft. Why? Not because they're covering up aliens, but for, you know, however long, 40, 50 years, we were fighting a cold war with the Soviets. Um, and it's secret, you know, in our nation's best interest. That's right. You know, I have to ask you, uh, just from your own experiences, because you have delved into this subject, you know, and it's very interesting because it is, we're talking about, you know, alien abductions and specifically the demonic realm. A lot of the, the talk we've had is that these things are spiritual that people are going through. Have you yourself had any sort of experiences that you would deem spiritual in this nature? Uh, do I have to talk about it? Because normally I don't, because I don't want people uh, to think that I'm judging my research based upon my experience. But uh, I didn't grow up a Christian. I wasn't brought, brought up in a Christian home. I didn't get saved to my young adult years. I was a young father with a couple of children, and I had some friends uh, witnessing to me. I'd made a decision for the Lord, had only been going to church basically two weeks, and I had an experience which is very, very common, which is uh, a presence in my room that seemed to press me against the bed and grab my neck, and I couldn't speak. And the reason I caveat, uh, mention all of that is because I was a baby Christian. I didn't really know anything about spiritual warfare. All I knew was that Jesus died for my sins, and I was as happy as Larry and wanted to tell everyone about it. And then in my room at night, I had this terrifying experience. I can remember it as clear as a bell. I can even remember looking at my wife next to me, and I was paralyzed, and I couldn't move. I could hardly speak. But I knew I was in love with Jesus, and all I did was squeak out, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. And immediately the experience left. And so I didn't have any filter with which to interpret any of that. <laughs> Uh, like a lot of those other abductees I mentioned. So I didn't have the abduction experience, but I certainly had a demonic encounter uh, in my room. And I look back at that and I think, well, uh, because of my lack of experience and my lack of biblical knowledge at the time, I think that it was a method of discouragement and trying to, again, get my eyes uh, off off the Lord, you know. Um, but calling out on his name. I, did, I remember, I just didn't know what else to do. But I was just so enamored with my newfound faith. Uh, that, that's why I did it. No, I think that's that's amazing because whether we're talking about aliens or the spiritual realm and like you said, a demonic attack like that, you know, interesting enough, our, our ministry was literally started from Pastor Joe Schimmel, who he was in paralysis, would go through a lot of the events that you were talking about uh, that most people would chime up as, a, uh, you know, an abduction but for him, it was because he thought he was going into his subconscious mind and it was helping him do automatic writing and write lyrics and so forth. But that paralysis seemed like it was a situation where uh, Satan played his hand uh, a little bit too much there on him. And he did the same thing where he cried out to the Lord twice on two different episodes and then eventually came to know Christ. That's why I love hearing those experiences because they're true and they're real experiences that lead to truth because you got to make sure those experiences backed up by the Word of God and our, our foundation. So speaking of that, uh, wow, we've got, I've already, I was, I was telling someone I was overprepared for this interview because I had so many questions I wanted to ask you, but I, I think a great question to, to simply ask, and I think this is important because of where you stand biblically, but do you believe there are life 
on other planets? Uh, in terms of the life we're talking about, you know, if they found microbes on Mars, that's not going to violate the gospel. Um, people can go to creation.com and type in, is the Bible falsifiable? I, I've been asked this question many times. You know, it was if we found a dolphin swimming in a, an ocean of one of Jupiter's moons, Europa, wouldn't, would that falsify the Bible? No. I don't think it's going to happen because when you look at the earth here, you know, <laughs> to quote the Lion King and the circle of life, but we have this incredible biosphere of life. We have microbes, things eat the microbes, the things that eat the microbes get eaten, you know, uh, fish eat krill, other large fish eat the fish, you know, and at the top of that food chain, if you like, are human beings. There's this whole interconnectedness. So you can't have some independent organism like a dolphin. You've got to say, well, what's the dolphin going to eat? You know, what, what, what habitat does it live in? You know, it's an air-breathing mammal. It's, so what about the water that it's living in and so on? So I don't think we're going to see anything intelligent, uh, sentient. A dolphin is intelligent and self-aware. Uh, microbes on Mars, not a problem. And here's the, here's the issue, again, because what I found over the years is most people don't realize their big hiccup objection to this. I'll, I'll explain it, and they'll always go, yeah, but, yeah, but. And the but has to do with the size of the universe. Because when we look at the Earth, we are just a speck in the universe. So people say, well, why would God have made such a massive universe just to put puny human beings on there? Surely there's got to be a bigger purpose to it all. Well, the first thing, what we're doing is we're anthropomorphizing God. We're putting God in our image. It's like saying, you know, Chad, well, let's go and make a couple of buildings and uh, we'll, we'll build a shed in the backyard and it takes us three days. Well, that wasn't hard. So now we get ambitious and we're going to build a mansion and it takes us five years. And if we ask the question, which ones would, was more difficult to build, we'd say the mansion because it took more time. You and I have a linear existence get things done, it takes time. God does not exist in time. He is outside the physical universe that he made. Our time is derived by a rotation of the earth and the earth going around the sun that gives us a year. That doesn't apply to God. I mean, if we said, how long does it take God to travel from here to the edge of the universe? You know, if we could travel it at the speed of light, it would take us 14 billion years, but God's already there. So that's the biggest stumbling block people have as a foundation when coming to answer this question. Then we look at scripture. When we look at what happened with creation, the whole creation, the heavens and earth, that's a merism. It's a term when you describe the opposing ends of, you know, whatever you want to talk about. If we said tomorrow, let's paint the radio studio from top to bottom, that's the opposing ends, but implied in that statement is everything. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, everything. That same heavens and earth, everything is reserved for destruction. Why? Well, because of what Adam did and because of what we inherited as his descendants, sin nature. We fouled the nest. Tells us in Romans 8, doesn't it, that we, you know, we basically live in a cursed and fallen world and then we read on and we know that God is going to alleviate us through Christ through that from this cursed and fallen world. So quite simply, you know, if God had created life on other planets, 
we know that this whole creation is going to be destroyed. Those aliens are going to be destroyed as well. But, but why? Why would they deserve destruction? Because did they inherit Adam's sin? No. The Bible says that clearly that it's human beings that are saved. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, right? We're all descended from Adam. We're all human beings. Uh, and it says, I think, in Hebrews, it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. So quite simply, you know, I often use the analogy, if God had created life on other planets, you know, Mr. Spock is sitting out there on the planet Vulcan and they get diseases and cancers and COVID, all because of the fact that the earth is decaying and groaning and, and nature is turning against us, right? But what if it didn't happen on their planet? So they're going to get rubbed out at the end of time. They've got no hope of salvation. They're intelligent, sentient beings. Uh, I think that would make God unjust because he's given us a way out of this fallen, cursed world. Um, aliens don't qualify for that. So the Bible tells us, remember I said there were simplistic answers? Remember that it's not hard for God to create a big universe. didn't take him any time. He created it in six earth days. He created the heavens and the earth, and he said, let there be light, and there was one day. Time was defined for our benefit, but God could have created in an instant if he wanted to. And I don't know how that time appeared to him. Maybe it was an instant, but to us it was six days. And um, as I said, it's not difficult for him. So don't look at the universe and say, why did he make it so big? What a waste of space, because the Bible tells us that the heavens declare his glory. There's about 13 passages like that in Scripture. And quite simply, Christians, be careful. Don't look up in the night sky. You know, get out into the outback and have a look at all the stars because they just fill the heavens. And don't look up there and say, well, I wonder what else is out there. The Bible says you should look up there and go, my God, <laughs> my God. He chose this little puny planet to create life. And then when it went wrong, the creator of all of that came to this earth and took my place and took the punishment that I deserved for messing up his creation. That's the big picture. That's, that's, that's the miracle. That's the real power of God. Amen. And I guess there is no better way than to finish up the interview here with the, a gospel message so clearly from creation uh, all the way down to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf for our sins. So, Gary, I want to thank you so much. And, guys, I really, 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 I could not encourage you more. We'll put a link in the description. You can even download it. You can rent it online. I did that myself. You can buy his book. You can go to creation.com as well. Guys, get these things. I, I can tell you right now, if you have friends that are non-believers— Sit down, watch this movie with them. The gospel is presented. They can see victory in Jesus over the demonic realm. I mean, this is just such a great job. And, and Gary, you were doing some awesome work. And I have so many questions still that I had written down. So I know I'm going to have to bother you again soon enough sure. and uh, get you to sit down with me and Pastor Joe next time. But I want to thank you so much, Gary. Thank you so much. If I could mention, you mentioned creation.com. Uh, people can buy the book, stream the, the video there. The video is called Alien Intrusion, Unmasking a Deception. Um, they're all available on Amazon as well and as eBooks. <laughs> awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening. This has been Chad Davidson, and this is The Good Fight Radio Show. God bless. 
You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.